Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back. This is Christine Patterson from Field Partner, and thank you for joining me for yet another of our interviews. Um, and today I'm really, really happy to introduce to you Mary Ho, who is the International Executive Leader of All Nations International, a global Christian missions organization. In her current role, Dr. Ho provides leadership and direction for All Nations, which has grown to four hubs with 400 cross-cultural workers in more than 40 countries. So Mary, thank you so much for being willing to do this. I know you do have an awful lot of calls on your time, so I really appreciate you giving us this hour to be with us now. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> thank you. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start with your roots. I understand that you were born into a Taiwanese diplomatic family and you lived all over the world. So what was that like for you? And when and how did you come to faith? So yes, I was born in Taiwan, then grew up in Philippines, in Swaziland, which is now Eswatini, New Zealand, uh, spent many summers in Indonesia, and then came to the US for college at the age of 17. And I was really, really blessed that um, in the first semester in college, I encountered Jesus and started following him. It was, of course, really rich um, culturally growing up in so many countries, but it was actually really hard. Mm. And so by the time I came to the U.S. as a college student, I had suffered from many years of, of bulimia, which is a eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But the day I uh, surrendered my life to Jesus, I was totally unchurched. I didn't know Jesus uh, could heal, but uh, he just sovereignly healed me and delivered me from bulimia without me asking. Um, I just remembered uh, going back to my dormitory and thinking, wow, I've had a really good day. Uh, not binging and purging. And then it was two really good days and a really good week and really good month. But I am so grateful that the Lord called me when I was 17. I experienced a love that was, I can't even describe. And also he set me free from bulimia. Amazing. What a wonderful story. Just without anyone, any other intervention. Just directly. No, no, I, I didn't ask for it. Um, yeah, I just, I feel it was the sovereign goodness of the Lord mm. to save and deliver. And that's actually really affected uh, me in the role of missions because I really believe in a powerful God that right. Jesus is powerful. He's the... Um, king of all kings he's the lord of all lords and he can heal and set people free and he can mm. transform lives because that's what the lord did for me it's a wonderful testimony great the wow. other thing he did for me was um i couldn't stop reading the bible 
you know, mm. I, it just came alive. And I spent many hours uh, reading it and just, um, and I would just claim the Lord's promises. You know, I would take God's word at face value and just say, okay, uh, Lord, I want that. Or if I see God doing something for, let's say, King David or Joseph or someone in the Bible, I will be like, oh, Lord, I want I want that. I, I want you to do that for me, too. So it was almost a really innocent, childlike faith. So Right, right. That's amazing. So you hadn't had any background at all. Um, I mean, all the places that you'd lived in before, had there been anybody else who'd ever sort of... yeah. Yeah, so when I was in Swaziland, um, between the ages of seven and 12, um, I went to an Anglican school. And so we would hear about Bible stories and, you know, sing hymns. But I didn't really have a personal relationship with Jesus. But there was one day, I think I was about eight, I was playing in the backyard and I was singing the Lord's Prayer, and I had a powerful experience of Jesus. I, I remember it very clearly. It lasted a few days, but there was no one to disciple me, you know, mm-hmm. so I didn't grow in my faith. Um, but yeah, but I remember um, that moment very, very clearly. Uh, so I believe the Lord set me apart. Uh, back then, but there was just no one to disciple me. And that's another reason I really believe in mentoring and discipleship. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, going back then to when you were younger, what kind of education did you get? I mean, were you always in local schools wherever you went or did your parents have to, in the end, send you somewhere for consistency's sake? Yes, so uh, my dad was predominantly posted in English-speaking countries. And so I went to local schools, just like in Swaziland. I went to uh, a local Anglican school in New Zealand. I went to uh, a grammar school for girls. So I always went to the local schools. Mm -hmm. So at least you could stay with your parents. Well, when I was in New Zealand, um, my parents moved to another city. They moved from Auckland to Wellington. So when they moved, I stayed at the same school and stayed in the boarding school. Um, But because it was probably the best, one of the best schools in the country. So I stayed. Mm -hmm. Because that's those often the same decisions that missionaries have to make, obviously, for their kids. You know, do they stay with us? Do they do local school? Do they go to yes. international school? Do they have to board? You know, all those things come into it, don't they? Interesting. Yes. And and also, I mean, as such, you are also a third culture kid, like I am, because <laughs> yes, because of your experience of living outside of your passport country. So uh, those are very interesting dynamics that come into life, don't they? Yes. And most third culture kids, they are bicultural. But of course, in my case, we move around not only from country to country, but from continent to continent, you know. And so, uh, as I said, it was a rich experience, but 
it really was not easy to grow up uh, that way. But I I really empathize with third culture kids, missionary kids. You know, like sometimes when I read newsletters, like missionary newsletters, and let's say they have a beautiful family photo in a really scenic place with mountains and waterfalls. Often, actually, I'll look at the picture with heartache because Mm -hmm. I always think to myself, yeah, but those kids, they will need to leave that country one day. They feel so at home in that beautiful country where their parents are serving, uh, but they will have to leave and it's going to be hard, you you know? And I feel that already years before this Mm -hmm. family will return back to their passport country. Right. Okay, so how about marriage? You're married to John, and he's also from Taiwan, right? Where did you meet, and how did romance blossom? (laughs) (laughs) So John and I are both uh, born in Taiwan, and he also grew up in several countries. So we're very similar. You know, we're Taiwanese third-culture kids, And we actually met in Taiwan as working adults. We were both uh, serving in Lingliangtang, Bread of Life. And um, yeah, um, when he first saw me, the first word that came to his mind was trouble. Yeah, he (laughs) thought I was trouble. Yeah, Uh, yes. And... uh, and he actually spent the first year avoiding me. So oh. I would go to church and he would talk to all the girls except for me. But I could tell he was looking at me out of the corner of his eyes, you know. Um, but yeah, but once he asked me out, uh, he asked me to marry him within a month. Wow. And uh, so we got married in Taiwan. It uh, were it will soon be our 28th year anniversary. And I like to joke with him about this one verse in Proverbs, because um, when I met him, he was living in a small rooftop apartment in Taiwan. You know how in Taiwan, there's a lot of rooftop additions. And uh, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, it is better for a man to live in the corner of the roof than to be married to a troublesome wife. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I hope you didn't get a troublesome wife in the end. <laughs> yeah, we we've actually had a have had a relatively easy and smooth marriage, and uh, it's it's been really fun. I, yeah. He's just been very, very supportive, you know, of the calling that God has on my life. And he's an architect and I enjoy architecture and art. So we enjoy each other's callings. That's nice. That's great. And you have kids? Yes, we have two boys, um, 26 years old and 22. So, Mm, yeah. And they're, they're with you. Where you are now. Whereabouts are yeah. you in? We're in Kansas City. We live in Kansas City. They're in Kansas City. So we get to see them uh, regularly. So that's really nice. Yeah. In Kansas City. Lovely. Yes. Great. Yeah. 
Um, so then, then we come to your call to missions. Um, I no looked at the website and it said that you worked in um, World Vision in Taiwan to begin with, and then you moved to Hong Kong and worked with Jackie Pullinger amongst the poor and addicted. So that sounds like a really rich history and an amazing background. How, can you unpack some of the threads of that for us? So when I got married or when I came back from Taiwan, uh, to Taiwan, I was actually working for the Taiwan government, the government mm -hmm. information office as an editor and writer. And then when I got married, the opportunity came up to work for World Vision Taiwan. And um, I think I was about 29 at that time, and I couldn't articulate it at that time, but I was really drawn to World Vision. And I, I think I did not articulate at that time that there is a hunger in my heart for the nations. And it wasn't until later the Lord just spoke to me and said, I have raised you up in the nations for the nations. I have put you as a stake in the nations. But back then, I couldn't articulate it. I just know I was drawn to serve the nations. And, um, and then when we moved to Hong Kong, I worked part-time for World Vision Hong Kong because by then I had one son. And um, we visited many churches, and we were really drawn to um, – yeah, the, the churches that uh, came out of Jackie Pullinger's ministry, because for us, they really are the real deal. Like uh, the people from Jackie's church, if, if you walk about Hong Kong, and Hong Kong has a lot of homeless and beggars, the people who are sharing food, uh, sharing water, uh, bringing the homeless uh, back to their homes, they are usually from Jackie's church. And um, and um, her church also has a lot of former addicts, uh, former prostitutes, uh, a lot of elderly. And um, in fact, um, the Holy Spirit just really moves so powerfully to set people free that the Hong Kong government uh, refers cases, uh, you know, to her. Yeah. And um, I just remember when we first visited um, one of her churches, every time the worship starts, um, and it's a little bit chaotic because of the kind of people that go there. But as soon as a worship starts, uh, my husband, John, would just weep because he could just sense the father's pleasure. And um, I think we were just really humbled to be in those churches. I, I thought we were mature Christians because we've been in leadership, but gosh, I have never met anyone like the people in that church that really serve the marginalized the way they do. Um, they would literally bring the homeless into their homes and put a roof over their head, clothe them, feed them, befriend them, share the gospel. So they're the real deal. Yeah, fantastic. 
So you you um, was working part time for World Vision, but but attending those churches and getting involved with them as well. Yes, yes, yes. So how long did you stay in Hong Kong, and what happened next? Yeah, we um, we stayed there for three years in Hong Kong. My husband worked for an American theater company called AMC Theaters. They build movie theaters um, in Asia around the US and in the year 2000 there was an economic downturn in Asia so AMC theaters the headquarters is in Kansas City so AMC theaters said why why don't you guys come to Kansas City for a year and when the Asia economy rebounds we'll send you back in a year back to Asia Okay. And so we said, okay, you know, um, so we came to Kansas City thinking that we'll just be here for one year. And, um, but it's been 23 years. I was going to so, say, all these years later, you're still uh, there. <laughs> so, you know, the Lord has his ways. Many are the plans of a man's heart. But it really is God who directs our path. We really thought we'll be in Asia for the rest of our life um, because we were really happy, uh, you know, in Hong Kong. Yeah. Mm. The organization you're leading now was started by Floyd and Sally McClung. So you must have come across them at some point. Were they also based there at the time? Yes. Yeah, so when we were in Kansas City, um, we started attending a church called Metro Christian Fellowship. And we happened to land in Floyd and Sally's uh, home group. It's supposed to be a close home group, but somehow we, we, we happened to visit and everyone was uh, too nice to tell us it was a close home group. <laughs> and uh, so we joined and um, yeah, and we just really hit it off with Floyd. And um, I was a young mom at that time with a, with a toddler and a baby. Um, and Floyd would just always make a beeline for me during home group. And he would say, so, Mary, do you know you have one of the strongest leadership gifting I've ever seen? And I'll be like, oh, shut up, Floyd. You know, meanwhile, I had baby puke over me and I have a toddler <laughs> that's clinging to my legs. And then he just did not give up. The next week, he will make a beeline for me again and say, hey, Mary, you know, you have a leadership gifting. And I'll be like, ah, yeah, so that's how we met Floyd and Sally uh, McClung. And um, at that time, we were not in missions, but because John and I are from the nations, and you know how birds of a feather flock together. So we became good friends with pretty much all the missionaries in our nations. Um, you know, the ones uh, who were back on furlough, the ones who were on staff, we would have them in our home. Um, yeah, so that's how it all started. Right, okay. Um, so this leadership gift, um, I understand that you're Dr. Mary Ho, but not a medical doctor, and that your doctorate has something to do with leadership. Is that right? Yes, uh, so I got a doctorate in strategic leadership, um, 
by that time, I uh, Floyd and Sally had moved to Cape Town, and I was leading All Nations U.S. work. I think I was already leading for maybe about oh six years, and I decided to get um, a doctrine leadership. And actually, it was my husband John who encouraged me to do it. He mm-hmm. said, you know, Mary, um, God has called you to be a leader. I think you should go for a doctorate in leadership. And at that time, we didn't know how we were going to pay for it. But he said, you need to apply and you need to do this. So Okay. And, and um, what do you feel that prepared you for? I mean, obviously for leadership, but I mean, in, in what other ways did it prepare you for what you're doing now? Yeah, so I'm actually really glad that before I got the doctorate, um, someone who went through the same program told me, uh, you know, Mary, getting a doctorate in leadership does not make you a good leader. It just it teaches you a lot about leadership. And I would say that is so true. So I think the doctorate gave me a framework to understand leadership and it gave me words to articulate leadership. And I think the process of going through the doctorate, it was really hard. I mean, it's hard to juggle both leading an organization and doing a doctorate, being a mom and a wife. And also uh, Floyd actually got sick uh, in the middle of my doctorate and he became incapacitated so I had to become the international director wow. of nations in the middle of my uh, my doctorate. So what the doctorate did for me was the process. It taught me discipline, focus, perseverance, and not giving up. Um, <laughs> so that's what it taught me, and I'm really glad. Before I started it, I actually felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to do this. And so there was a sense of calling in doing that doctorate. So it gave me tenacity to finish. I knew the Lord wanted me to do it. And I knew that he wants me to finish it and not give up because I was tempted to give up. Yeah. So well, those are all tremendously important qualities, aren't they, for, for what you're doing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And so what is All Nations International's particular vision and emphasis? What would you say drives you in your calling? Yeah, so uh, Floyd and Sally, they established All Nations after um, Floyd was the international director of YWAM. So they were part of a group of people who were the founders of YWAM. And Floyd established our nations to go to the unreached, to make disciples, and to raise up the local leaders to plant and multiply churches. Mm. And uh, so that was uh, the original vision of our nations, and it is still the vision of our nations. And um, and what compels me and compels our nations is really to see Jesus known and loved and worshipped by all the peoples of the world. Uh, 
right. uh, to share the good news because the gospel really is good news. As mm-hmm. I said earlier, the Lord just set me free. You know, he gave me good news for my life without me even really knowing what it is. And he transformed my life. And what compels me is that there are still many unreached people groups in the world where there isn't a viable church movement. There's still people groups in the world where there really is not, um, a, you know, a church that that worships Jesus. And so, um, so what compels me is to see lovers and worshipers of Jesus Christ from every tongue, every nation, every people, every language. I think it's going to be a beautiful sight when we get there in heaven. Mm. Um, yeah. So um, at the moment, you have the, the four hubs. Where would they be? There are, one is in Cape Town, obviously. Yeah, actually, we now have five. So, um, so the first one is our North America hub, and it's based here in Kansas City. And then um, Floyd and Sally, they founded a second hub in Cape Town in Southern Africa, which has trained and sent out a lot of our African workers um, and also workers to different parts of the world. And then in the last uh, four years, uh, we've established a few more hubs, um, one in Hamburg, Germany, to mainly serve uh, the Muslim diaspora um, and the Muslim refugees and now Ukrainian refugees. Um, And then we also established one in East Africa in Kampala, Uganda, um, which is now sending workers as well. And a year ago, we just established a Chinese-speaking hub in Taiwan, in Tainan, and we're so excited that there's no longer any quarantine rules in Taiwan <laughs> because we can now train and begin to send and people can come in and out of Taiwan. Mm. That's great. Okay, so let's go on to the next question then. What excites you most as you consider the generation in which we're living? And what kind of people are being drawn into your mission hubs? And then what kind of training do they receive? Yeah, so um, I would say our nations, we tend to draw kind of the hardcore long-term workers. So uh, we tend to not attract the short-termers, but we tend to attract those who want to go to the least reached or the unreached on a long-term basis. And that's a kind of uh, training we provide. So uh, anyone who wants to be part of our nations has to do our uh, flagship training called CPX. It stands for Church Planting Experience. And uh, they can take the training without joining our nations. But in our training, it is very, um, it's very specific. It equips our uh, people to go cross-culturally to the unreached, to share Jesus, um, to share Jesus stories. We really impart in people the art of storying uh, because mm-hmm. no one wants to be preached at, right? 
but mm-hmm. to tell stories from the Bible in a way that engages people in their felt needs. And we equip people to make disciples. Um, how do you actually make disciples? How do you actually find persons of peace? How do you actually, uh, you know, raise up the local leaders to plant a church? How do you multiply churches? And our end goal is to unleash church planting movements, also known as disciple making movements among the least reached. And so um, we also train people how to do that. And we train people in basic cross-cultural skills, like how do you learn a language? How do you cope with culture shock? How do you go cross-culturally? And what we found is um, even though our training is excellent, we found many years ago that we were not bearing the kind of fruit we wanted until we started the coaching piece. So uh, so now we follow up our training with a, a nine-month internship for people to put into practice what they learn during training. And when people go um, to the field, they are given a coach who coaches them, who remind me, uh, remind them of what they learned and help them to troubleshoot and pray with them and come alongside of them. So that's what we have found that training and coaching together uh, Mm. is really, really effective. So the coach, is that someone who's in the local area or do they, uh, is that remotely via, via the internet? Yeah, so um, sometimes it's uh, remotely and sometimes it's in person. The other thing uh, we really emphasize is actually member care and pastoral Mm. care. So every single person, uh, every single husband, wife, single person, all have a member care uh, point person or pastoral caregiver who touch base with them uh, regularly, at least once a month, often more, to really care for issues of the heart and ask them questions like, how was your marriage? How are things going on with your kids? And and now we're also providing care for some of the teenagers, you know, um, that's on the field. And um and also having them in peer groups, like we're gathering some of our teenagers or preteens so that uh, they get to fellowship with each other over Zoom because they share similar challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Growing up cross-culturally. So, um, so for us, that that's really important, uh, the member care part and I think as a result, we have not seen uh, much attrition. Um, That's great. Fantastic. And, and the, um, tell us a bit about um, Peggy Spears' work, The Senders You. Um, yes. Because that's more focused on sending churches, isn't it? But um, I think that's also a very strategic piece. Yes. So uh, several years ago, uh, we noticed that um almost all the missions training is for the goers hmm. and there's really no missions training for those who send 
And yet God has called every single one of us to be part of his great commission, right? But not all of us are meant to be goers. Some of us are meant to be mobilizers, senders, uh, teachers, trainers, carers, but we're all part of uh, God's incredible um, mission in the nations. And so Peggy developed a training that she calls Senders U. U stands for university, Senders University, to really equip the whole church to be on mission for the whole gospel, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, sending well is not just the mission's pastor's job. God is calling the entire church, uh, young and old, man or woman, and women, to be part of His mission in the nations. And so, Senders U is it's usually two days or one and a half days, and uh, we go to churches and uh, we equip the churches to send well, and we equip the whole church. And it is interactive. Um, it has a biblical foundation. It is fun. There are games, there are activities, there are exercises, and uh, and everyone can partake in the training from, you know, from kids to uh, the grandma who loves to bake cookies. So uh, it's to mobilize the whole church for God's mission. I really love that. Um, so. Tell me, um, it sounds like most of that is in-person training. Do you do anything that's just that's online or can people join in online? Yes. So um, we usually do it in person at the invitation of a church or a group of churches to go to their city. Um, but during COVID, we couldn't do that. So, uh, so we actually developed it online. So, yes, Senders U is also available online since COVID first started. Uh, mm-hmm. So, we will be providing um, Senders U online uh, regularly as well. Okay, that's great. Because um, my next question, my last question actually, is how we can partner with you. And um, we were just talking about that, weren't we? That that what would that look like? And um, for us, the the important thing is that people all over the world will be able to join in trainings online, or have um, some digital resource that they can take part in. So, if we can, you know, tell us what we can do to promote what you're doing, and then um, you know, we will be very very happy to showcase everything that that. Um, well, everything that we can that that, that you're doing. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, I really believe in kingdom partnership. I really believe in not being territorial. And so I, I feel all nations is where we are today because many, many people, many organizations were generous with us, with their resources and trainings and know-how. And expertise, and so whatever we have, um, yeah, we would love to share it, and also to learn from others. And I also really believe, like you and Ross, have expertise uh, from all your years in the Chinese-speaking world, and 
we've also developed some expertise, you know, in training and sending and equipping and storing. And um, yeah, so I we would love to share it. And we will also love to learn uh, from you. Yeah, that's 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 how the kingdom works. Absolutely, it is. Um, yes, for sure. I would, uh, would love that we'd be able to showcase the storytelling in particular, because I think that's a really key key thing that all of us need to learn. Yes, and we have these um, online trainings. It's called Ignite, and it's different topics. And um, and those are short online trainings that are free, like like storying or um, or let's say how to do salty statements, which is how do you take an ordinary everyday conversation and and just gently direct it uh, to become a spiritual conversation where we can, in a very natural way, share Jesus. There's many, many topics that uh, are on the Ignite online courses, um, how to learn language, how to make disciples, how to start a discipleship group. So, um, yeah, we offer that as a free resource to the body of Christ. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mary. Um, I assume you're happy for anyone listening to this to get in touch with you if they want to. And what would be uh, yes. the best channel for that? Yes. So uh, my email address is mho, so Mary Ho, at allnations.international. Again, mho at allnations.international. Great. Well, we'll put that up in the show notes too. And um, anyway, well, thank you so much, Mary. There's, it's been such a lot, such a joy to chat together. And there's been an awful lot you've shared that um, is food for thought. Thank so, you so much, Christine. Um, I, I really look forward to partnering with you and having, uh, we will definitely have All Nations up as a partner. Um, if anyone is interested to um, follow that up. And that's it for today. So thanks so much for joining us. And we do hope that you've enjoyed this interview. Please spread the word on social media or um, by going to the website and sharing what's on there. These interviews, our courses and other resources, and of course, our partners' um, information as well. Anyway, bye-bye for now and God bless. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.